Man, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you guys so much to close this series off because I love the idea of this series. Now, we've been really ambitious in this series because we're taking three of the most complicated characters in Scripture, and we're trying to, uh, trying to unpack their lives in three weeks. We could take six weeks for each character. We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this series, My Messed Up Family. Uh, how many of you guys have resonated with the series a lot because you're like, hey, got a lot of dysfunction in my family? Raise your hand if you feel like you got a lot of dysfunction in your family, okay? If you're not raising your hand, we figured out your dysfunction. It's pride. <clears throat> so we, we all have a lot of dysfunction. Some of us, we put the fun in dysfunction, if you know what I mean. And uh, man, it's just, I've been really ministered to by this series and um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this person, Jacob, because I really resonate with him as a character. We're going to do kind of a flyover of his life, um, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel really fast-paced. You're going to feel like you get a lot of information. I would encourage you to go and read and study up on the, on, in Genesis on the character of Jacob because it's a fascinating character, and there's a lot that we can learn from that. But I'm going to try to give kind of one nugget for us today as we kind of look at his life. And, and really what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the things that are passed down generationally uh, into our lives. How many of you know there are things that are passed down into your life from generations before you that are dysfunctional, right? There's some things that like you kind of start out, as much as we would love to start out with a blank slate where we can kind of just build on whatever foundation we want, we, a lot of us start out with some cracks in our foundation because of our parents or our grandparents. And, and sometimes we don't discover that until later on in life. And we start to realize, wait, I am operating this way. I'm doing these things. I'm interacting with people. I'm showing up in the world in this way because of some dysfunction in my past, right? Doesn't that seem a little unfair sometimes? I mean, honestly, it does. It's like, man, that just, now I've got to kind of work out some things that have been passed down. And this is a reality. This is something we see in these characters. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and throughout these generational things, there is this one particular issue that we'll zero in on that was passed down to these, uh, to these characters. Rashad talked about it the first week and that Abraham was a deceiver. He lied. Now, can I just get like really encouraged for a second that the father of our faith, Abraham, right? And I'm sorry if you grew up in church and you're thinking now, Father Abraham, you're listening to that song and you're going to have it in your mind all day long on repeat. But the father of our faith was messed up. Can we just praise God for that? Like God did not choose some perfect person to, to reveal himself to the world. He chose a messed up, sinful, broken person to make his name known throughout the world. And he chose Abraham, said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all of the world. And Abraham had some issues. And the more we see these issues play out in Abraham and in Isaac and in Jacob, these issues begin to perpetuate. I'm learning this through my kids because my kids have issues. <clears throat> That was a really good place for you to amen. Your kids are backing kids right now. You is a safe space, okay? You need to pray for all of our kids. They are liars. They are cheaters. They got attitudes. They need salvation is what they need, right? But what I'm realizing is that I'm the one that tends to kind of impart that into them. You know what I mean? We dropped my kids off at my parents' house this past week. Christy and I got a little getaway to Hilton Head, and my parents live in North Carolina. And as we're picking our kids up, we're like debriefing with my mom. Now, I grew up kind of sheltered. I wasn't allowed to see a lot of movies and shows growing up that normal people are allowed to watch because I was a pastor's kid. Uh, just, you know, if you know, you know, right? Just the struggle is real. I grew up, I couldn't watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Still can't tell you which color is who. I'm sorry. I couldn't watch Power Rangers, all right? Couldn't watch Darkwing Duck because it was too dark, 
right? Somehow, like, I could watch, I couldn't watch any rated R movies except for the one about Jesus. You know, I just, did, you know, I did, didn't understand that. But needless to say, I also, there was some language that I couldn't use that many people would see, they're, it's mild language, right? I couldn't say, oh my gosh, all right? Because my mom thought it sounded too much like, oh my God, and it was taking God's name in vain, and it wasn't, no, I'm not, I'm not issuing anything here. I'm just sharing with you my experience. I also couldn't say, geez, because it was too much like Jesus, right? Well, my mom's debriefing me on how things were going with the kids this week, and she's like, Davey, I had to correct the kids a couple times because they said, they said oh my gosh, and I was like, oh, where are they learning that from? I said, geez, mom, I'm so sorry. She goes, that's the other one that I had to... I'm like, oh, you know, my gosh. Like, and I just get, you know, and so I'm realizing I'm imparting some things. Well, Weston, my seven-year-old, he is like too smart for his own good, extremely intelligent, kind of a brainiac, analytical thinker. He always wants you to know how things work. He's curious, but he'll state things not out of curiosity, but as a matter of fact. And he'll correct you. If you say something wrong, if you explain something wrong, he corrects you. And he does it this way. He goes, well, actually... Sounds just like that, right? So I'm like, man, this frustrates me. Where does he get this from? I'm like, you know, trying to blame everybody else. Like, who did he get this from? You know, many of you guys understand that. Your spouse, you're looking at me like, that's your kid. You know, that's your kid, right? So I'm like, where did he get it? Well, separate situation. I'm sitting at dinner with Christy, and, 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 and she says something, and I look at her across dinner. I'm like, you know, all pretentious in this moment for whatever reason. And I go, well, actually. And she goes, <gasps> points at me. She goes, she gets it from you, you know? And I'm like, it's like that glass-shattering moment from How I Met Your Mother, right? Which I also wasn't allowed to watch, but I'm just, just kidding. That was a joke. I was way older. I could watch it because I'd make my own decisions. Thanks, Mom. So um, bring it back in. You don't have much time, baby. So I'm learning this thing that I am imparting these things to my kids. We call this, as we're working with people who have gone through some difficult trauma or tragedy, major life transitions, we call this family of origin. You ever heard this term? These are the things that get passed down inherently and you don't even realize it. So as we're like coaching parents, which is really ironic because I feel like we just need coaches, like parenting coaching all the time, right? But as we're just kind of like having, we always say more is caught than is taught. More is caught than is taught. That you have to focus on the culture of your home and the ethos of your home more than just telling your kids what to do because your kids are going to pick up on what you do, not what you say to do, okay? In fact, one of the quickest ways to teach your kid how to be a hypocrite is just say one thing and do something else. And so, I, so I'm learning all of this that my kids are starting out. We're already saving up for our kids' counseling. But here's where I get encouraged. I get encouraged when I read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because there's a lot of dysfunction, but I also get convicted in this because I see that there was this one issue that was passed down, a family of origin passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That was this one issue of lying. Now we're going to get to our one issue in just a second, but I want to say this. This is called family of origin. We have pet named it Fupu, family of origin poo, okay? It's like the crap that just gets passed down into your, sorry, mom, I wasn't allowed to say that either. Um, it just gets passed down from generation to generation. Scripture calls it generational sin cycles. So you'll see verses in Scripture that say things like, God punishes, quote unquote, to the third and fourth generation. You seen that? 
Well, that can cause us to think that God is some kind of like Zeus-like figure that he's like out to punish us. That's not what it's saying right there. In fact, it's actually giving us a clue into what's called the passive wrath of God. I'll give you a theology lesson for a second. That God just kind of allows these things to play out and that the consequences that come out of some of these sin cycles, they just carry out and they perpetuate. Unless, listen, Unless someone decides in that family tree to put a line in the sand, to put a stake in the ground and say, our family's not going to struggle with this anymore. Our family's not going to deal with this anymore. We're not going to be the family that goes into debt over and over and over and over leverages. We're not going to be the family that struggles with toxicity in our language and we don't approach conflict in a healthy way. We're not going to be the family that deals with sexual addiction over and over. We're not going to be that family. And I believe what God wants to do in Mercy Road is raise up families that aren't just changing things with your family, but you're changing things generationally. You're changing generations, friends, and nations by what God wants to do in here. This is what we're talking about when it comes to these generational sin cycles. Because not only is it God, quote unquote, punishes the third and fourth generation, it says he blesses to the thousandth generation those who serve and trust him. It's challenging and it's encouraging to me today. My hope is that you are challenged and encouraged today. Because here's what I know. I know how I have this one issue now, I've got a lot more than one issue, right? But I, I sense that I've got this one issue that God keeps circling back around to over and over and over and over in my life. You have that? You sit in church, and it's like every message tends to be about that issue. You know what I'm talking about? It's like every message you come in, and it's like, why is the pastor always talking about addiction, right? Well, the pastor's not always talking about addiction, the Holy Spirit speaking to you about addiction because that's your one issue that you've got to deal with. There is typically in every single one of us one issue that, that if we just kind of unclog that issue, if we just kind of like break the release valve on that issue, if we let the Holy Spirit transform that issue, it will catapult us into this life of purpose, the fullness of who God wants us to become. But often we're being hindered by this one issue. Now that one issue, like we'll see with Jacob, that one issue is typically two sides of the same coin. It's typically some kind of issue that relates to the superpower of your personality and also the vice of your personality. I relate to Jacob because Jacob is the kind of guy that is extremely ambitious. He has, as we're going to see, unbridled ambition to a fault. So much so that he is willing to step over people. He's willing to use people and manipulate people to get what he wants. He, he's very conniving. He's very crafty. He, he wants something so badly, it doesn't matter who stands in his way to get that one thing. Jacob, his name actually means deceiver, supplanter. In fact, when Jacob is uh, being born, they didn't have like, you know, sonograms or x-rays or anything back then. It was, so it was a surprise to his parents that he was a twin. They didn't know there were twins there. Now, his mom got this, like, prophecy that there was going to be two, there were two babies in her womb. And, and, and Esau, the older, came out first. Jacob comes out of the womb literally grabbing onto the heel of Esau, like a barrel of monkeys, kind of like, you know, like, and he's grabbing onto the heel. And so they name him supplanter, heel grabber is what they name him. And so this becomes the identifier of Jacob that throughout his whole life, he's going to reach up to those who are superior to him, who are beating him to the thing that he wants, and he's going to pull them down. 
Now, is ambition a bad thing by itself? Is it a bad thing? Is this a trick question, Davy? No. In fact, we're going to see Jacob here. We're going to kind of talk about some of the negative attributes of his character. God gave him this ambition. This was a gift that God gave him. What I love about God is that he uses all of these people in Scripture who have this mess in their lives. I'm encouraged by that because I got a mess in my life. But each person you see in Scripture that God uses for really great things have this quality about them. The Hebrew calls it chutzpah. Say chutzpah. Chutzpah. It's this, it's this burning desire to do whatever it takes for something. And God goes, if I can channel that, right there. If I can channel that desire, that whatever it takes desire into this love for and surrender to my plan and my will, I can use this person. So he often chooses people with this like kind of cracks in their personality or foundation, this dysfunction in their life. And then he takes them on a journey and and leverages that for good things. Does that encourage anybody in here? Does that encourage, encourages me like crazy. So this is where we see Jacob. He's grown up a little bit. And we see first this deceiver mentality kind of come inside of his life. Now, as we read, Jacob, I want you to think about what's that thing for me? What's that thing that God keeps circling back to? What's that thing that everywhere, every time I hear about, every time I open up scripture, is it an addiction? Is it like the way that you deal with conflict? Is it, we all have that one thing, and that's the thing that we want to address in here today. So we go to Genesis chapter 25, and, and to set this up, Jacob is a grown man. His brother Esau is a grown man. They're very different people. Esau is a wild hunter, outdoorsman type person, right? He probably wore Carhartts, probably, you know, poured deer pee all over himself to go hunting. You know what I'm talking about? Like a man's man. It's ridiculous. Stop pouring deer pee all over yourself, okay? I don't care how much of a man you are. Go kill a deer. By the way, just a little, people are like, David, you like to hunt? Like, um, you know, I, I would like to hunt if it was like real hunting because you got a camera and deer pee and you're like luring the deer in with this stalk of corn, right? That doesn't seem like hunting. Hunting to me seems like put yourself in a loincloth, grab a spear and go after it like a real man would in the old days, right? Like that's hunting. Okay, never mind. I don't have time for that. Okay. So here's Esau. He's a hunter outdoorsman. Jacob is very different. He, um, so while Esau probably liked to watch Bill Dance or like some kind of hunting shows, Jacob liked watching HGTV right? He liked to stay at home and cook, and he was into the arts, and he was very sensitive and emotive, and um, he probably wore skinny jeans and a scoop neck, looked a lot like modern worship leaders today. I mean, that's, that's the... So you see the two different people. Jacob becomes his mom's favorite. Esau becomes his dad's favorite, and here's where we see the two. It says in verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, there he is, right? He's watching his cooking stew, make sure all the ingredients are in. Esau comes in from the open country famished, He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Now, this is a huge deal. Let me pause right here and say this. The birthright was given to the firstborn of a family. The patriarch, when he would die, would pass down the birthright. The birthright ensured a few things. It ensured, one, that now this person would have patriarchal authority. They ran the clan, okay? They also, it ensured that they would have a blessing materially. So they would inherit the bulk portion of the patriarch's inheritance, the possessions. It would also ensure that they would have a spiritual blessing. There's a spiritual component to this as well, okay? Jacob wanted this badly. He wanted this birthright. He wasn't entitled to it because remember, he's the second born. He's coming up second. 
And so he, in his craftiness, sees this angle that he can play, and he, he chooses to trick Esau. And he says, uh, first, sell me your birthright. Esau goes, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Let me just pause and say this. This is a total different sermon for another time. But so often in, in, in culture today, I see us compromising our birthright for a pot of stew. Come on. For the temporary high, the thing we think will give us the fix, the thing that we think is shiny and flashy that will kind of satiate it, and we're compromising the inheritance that God has given us as sons and daughters. And I, I, just, I just believe somebody in here, maybe you're wrestling with that. You're like, I don't know about this God thing. I'm telling you, play the long game. Play the long game. Don't compromise this thing that God wants to do inside of your life for some temporary high, some satisfaction of the flesh. Okay, total different sermon. He says, I, I, what, what good is this to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate it and drank it and got up. So Esau despised his birthright. And this begins this conflict inside of this family. Be, because of the, listen, because of the unbridled ambition of Jacob, it leads to an unraveling of his family. I relate with Jacob because I have a lot of ambition. I do. It's something that God put inside of me. Was to, if I see a goal, go after the goal. But the thing that God is convicting me of right now is that there are so many things that can be left in the wake of me going after that goal namely my family. I'm like tethered to my phone because it's the thing that helps me build and accomplish and, you know, do all of this stuff to like create, build this. And I can, listen, I can so easily justify it that I'm doing kingdom work, but my family is being sacrificed on the altar of ministry. And this is the thing for me, I don't know what it is for you, but this is the thing right here that God keeps circling back to. It's like every sermon, every book I read, every time I open up scripture, God's like, see that Davy right there. You need to be more present. You need to be more invested in your family. You need to be more, you need to, and this is ultimately what he's stirring inside of me. I believe it's the same thing he's stirring inside of every single one of us when it comes to our one thing. Do you trust me, Davey? Do you trust me to bring it about? You see, Jacob, the dysfunction in Jacob, the deception in Jacob was because he was trying to grab at the thing God wanted to give him in the first place. Jacob had a promise over his life that he was going to receive the birthright. The problem with Jacob is he went after it, not in God's way, in his own way. And he began to try to go and grab at something that God had already promised that he was going to give him. He wasn't willing to wait for it in God's time. And friends, this can, listen, this can unravel and create so much dysfunction in our families. Now, I relate with Jacob because that's me. Unbridled ambition, that's my vice. What's yours? What's your dysfunction? What's the thing that kind of has gotten passed down through your family lineage, and now you're face-to-face -face with this thing. You're seeing it creep out and ooze out of you sideways, and it's affecting how you interact with other people. And it's created more dysfunction inside of your family. Now, what happens with Jacob is his brother gets really mad at him, and then Jacob ends up stealing and swindling not just the birthright, but also the blessing. There's a whole separate thing that Esau was entitled to that Jacob swindles. You can go and read about that. And it ends up making Esau so mad that he wants to kill Jacob. So now Jacob goes on the run, 
And, and God begins to lead him on this journey to try to help uh, heal this dysfunction inside of Jacob. Can I tell you something? The dysfunction in our family, the healing, it starts with you. You hear me? It starts with you. I realize there's a lot of other people involved. I realize it. But if you want to see healing and redemption take place in your family, it starts with you. That's the only person that you can control. That's the only person you have accountability over is you. And so Jacob, God takes Jacob on this journey. He winds up going to this place called Haran where his uncle lives. And he becomes attracted to the two daughters, or comes attracted to the youngest daughter of Laban, his uncle. Uh, we'll get to in a second how this comes back around to bite him. But, I, but I, want, I want to just kind of address this. I feel like in my life, I know this issue that's going on, but I feel like it seems like God's taking a long time to kind of deal with this issue, don't you? I get frustrated with this. Sometimes I get, I, it takes a long time because I'm not actually doing anything about this issue. I get convicted, but then I don't actually do anything about it, right? Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I got convicted. Now I feel better at church because I know what the issue is, but I, but I don't actually do something about it. Sometimes it's because I don't know how to do something about it. I need help. I need someone else to help me do something about it, right? But I'm too prideful to, to ask for help. Anybody there? And so, so Jacob has this issue. I have this issue. God leads Jacob on a journey. God's leading me on a journey. I believe he's leading you on a journey. Why would he lead us on a journey rather than just fixing us right away? Wouldn't it be nice if God would just heal us right now, in, like poof, in this service? God, I got this issue, boom. I've said this before, but let me say it again. God sometimes heals in poof. There's breakthroughs that happen in poof. Most of the time he heals in process. And, and here's the reason why. God is the greatest teacher that there is. Now, we learned this in communications. Uh, as, as I was going through college, I learned there are three different types of learning styles. Therefore, there are three different types of teaching styles. Those learning styles are um, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic. Auditory means you can hear something and you just like, ooh, like I, I understand it, I grasp it. Some of you are like that. Visual is I got to see it. I got to see it illustrated, right? Kinesthetic is I got to do something and be involved with it, okay? This is what they taught us in college. They said, as you're communicating, if you inform people, auditory, then they'll hear you. If you illustrate it for them, they'll understand it. But if you involve them, they'll remember it. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. He has incorporated three learning styles with all of us. The first one, he informs us through what? His word. I mean, wouldn't it be nice like, like if we, that's all we needed was his word? We could hear the word. But, but how many of you know, I'm the same as you, we are hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. We hear it on Sundays. We don't go out and do it. And, and, and Scripture even says that as we, like, look into Scripture and it looks back at us, it's like a mirror that reveals to us, but we're like a dog returning to its vomit. If we look at the mirror and, like, see what we look like and we walk away and forget, we're kind of coming back over and over and over to this thing. And so, so he informs us through Scripture. The second thing that he does is he shows us who he is. He illustrates it to us. I mean, how do you, like, we walk outside and we just marvel at the beauty of creation or, or like, you see the, the beauty of, like, childbirth. I mean, when, 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 when I've witnessed childbirth of, of each of my wives, I'm just blown away by, like, the, the unbelievable miracle. That I'm like, how in the world do you not believe in God? 
because of the intricacies that it takes to grow a baby inside of a mother's womb. So he illustrates this, but what he does for us in terms of how he heals us is he involves us in the process, and he will take us on a journey, and they will be journeys that we end up coming face-to-face with our dysfunction. And we begin to see the ramifications of our dysfunction that wake us up. And then we have options on whether or not we want to do something about our dysfunction. Jacob is a deceiver. He sows in deception. He reaps in deception. Look what happens with with Laban right here. It says that he goes to Laban and says, hey, um, I'll work for you for seven years for your daughter Rachel. I'm attracted to her. The Bible says that Rachel was very beautiful. It says that Leah was not. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. It says she had dim eyes, which the Hebrew of that means that she was not good on the eyes. That's That's what it means, okay? So you've got these two, and so he's like, I like Rachel. And so he goes, I'll work for seven years. By the way, guys, we have our work cut out for us, right? This guy is pursuing her for seven years, working manual labor to earn the right to marry Rachel. And then when seven years is up, it says, and Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. Okay, that's very direct there, Jacob. <laughs> so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. So it's Leah instead of Rachel. When morning came, I love how this scripture says this. When morning came, there was Leah. I was reading this, I expected to see like, then the producer of Jerry Springer called up Laban. And you know, it's like, (laughs) I have lots of questions about this passage. We can't get into it right now. But ultimately, Jacob gets deceived. So Laban gives him a taste of his own medicine. Do you know oftentimes the dysfunction that we are operating in will ultimately come back on us? And it confronts us. And we have a choice. Well, what does Jacob do? Well, he doesn't decide to operate in a trust in the Lord. He does work another seven years, and he ends up earning, you know, Rachel's. Now he's got two wives, even more dysfunction, multiple mother-in-laws. I mean, actually, in this case, it wouldn't have been. So that's, he kind of spared himself on that one. <laughs> but what he ends up doing is he ends up cheating Laban to get him back. And it sends him again on the run. So now, listen, we come to toward the end of Jacob's life, not quite the end, but kind of a latter half of Jacob's life. And he is on the run from his brother. His brother wants to kill him. He's on the run from his father-in-law. His father-in-law also wants to kill him. And God meets him at the darkest place of his dysfunction. In fact, he hears that his brother wants to come and kind of make amends, uh, wants to kind of maybe, maybe do some reconciliation. He, he doesn't know this at the time. He thinks his brother is coming to attack him, coming to kill him. So his brother's coming, and, and he hears word his brother's coming, and, and God brings him to this spot right here, and you're going to see it right here in Genesis chapter 32. It says, that night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Someone say Jabbok. Do you notice how closely correlated Jacob's name in the Hebrew, Jacob, is with Jabbok? Do you notice that? This is not a coincidence. God brings him to a place that would be a mirror image of himself, where he would be forced to confront the dysfunction going on inside of him. 
Friends, God wants us to have good, true, right relationships horizontally in this world with our family, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our spouses, with our kids. The only way that you and I can achieve good, right, true, horizontal relationships is by first getting this vertical relationship right. How do we know how to love somebody when they've offended us if we don't first know the unconditional love in the midst of the offense of our sin of the Heavenly Father? How do we know how to forgive if we don't first understand forgiveness? You see, God wants us to have this relationship right and come to peace with him through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross so that then we can come to peace with us, with ourselves. You can't have good, right, true, healthy relationships with other people until you have come to peace right here. This is why Scripture says, love your neighbor, what? As you love yourself. This is not propagating that you love yourself. It's saying you've got to see yourself the way God sees you. And so all of the false beliefs and the mindsets that have crept in through the generational sin curse in your life has to be untangled, has to be dealt with. And God's going to make sure that over and over and over and over that we circle back around to this one issue. Because whatever that issue is with you, this one issue is holding you back from having this great relationship with God, from stepping into the fullness of what he has for you, from, from ultimately stepping into the plan and the purpose that God has for your life, for you, for your family, to do something great in this world, to make a difference. But man, the addiction is just holding that back. That toxic mentality, that, that mindset, that insecurity, that one insecurity that's holding you back from stepping into that thing. God's like, let's get there. Let's, let's deal with that right there. Well, what is that one thing? See, Jacob comes to the Jabbok, and it says that he wrestled with this man. Most scholars believe is God. It's really interesting because it's almost like a double entendre. He wrestles with God, and yet what he's doing is he's really wrestling with himself, isn't he? He's wrestling with this dual nature inside of him. This flesh nature and spirit nature, as Paul would talk about, are, they're wrestling, they're locking arms, they're battling all night. It says that Jacob wrestles at the jabak. The word wrestles in Hebrew is jabak. Jacob, jabak at jabak. You think this is coincidental? We're getting pointed to this moment right here where Jacob is forced to come face to face with his dysfunction. And he has to deal with it. And it's crazy what he does. The man's wrestling with him, which by the way, let me just say this. I don't think God's mad at all when we wrestle with him. You might have doubts. You might have questions. You might have and for, for far too long, the, the church has kind of created an environment where it's not okay to question or wrestle with. Can I just give you the permission? This is a safe space to wrestle. In fact, I think God wants us to wrestle because in our wrestling, we find healing. Because as Jacob wrestles with God, it says that God breaks his hip. Jacob's like, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go till you give me a blessing. Wait, what? A blessing? 
Bro, you got the birthright and you got the blessing. What more do you want? Isn't it crazy that this thing that Jacob is pining for and striving for with this unbridled ambition, this thing still didn't satisfy him? He's literally unraveled his whole life and it still didn't satisfy. Come on, whatever you're chasing after, whatever the world has to offer, whatever, it's not going to satisfy. And he senses that there's something here that can fully and finally satisfy him. He goes, I'm not letting go till you give me a blessing. And God goes, okay. But first I gotta break you. I gotta get you to the end of yourself. You know, Jabbok, the place that they were at, it literally means wasteland. Jacob had to come to the end of himself, the wasteland of his ambition before God could do something. God breaks his hip, and in the same moment, all in one fell swoop, breaks his hip, heals it, blesses him, and gives him a new name. Changes his identity. He says, you will now be called Israel. Israel. Israel means God fights my battles. So here's this man for his whole life, this dysfunction that's been passed down, Abraham lying and deceiving to Pharaoh, Isaac lying and deceiving to Elimelech. All of this deception, dysfunction is being passed down and Jacob comes to a head and he's like, I cannot do this anymore. God, give me the thing that our family desires so much. He goes, okay, I'll give it to you. I'm going to change you. No longer are you going to strive and pine and try to manipulate and control to get what you want. Now I'm going to fight your battles for you. It's always been that way, Jacob. I've always been here wanting to fight your battles for you. I've always been here wanting to bring the blessing into your life. I've always been here wanting to bring that thing. And when I've withheld it from your life, you've seen that as some kind of twisted way that I'm doing something against you. And you've gone after it yourself and you've not waited on my timeline. But Jacob, would you just wait? Let me fight your battles for you. Would you just trust? Surrender this thing to me? I love the location. I've actually been close to this location where Jacob wrestles with God because right down the river of Jordan is a location called Gilgal. And it's the very same location that Joshua crossed over the Jordan with the Israelites. Crossed over from one paradigm of slavery into this another paradigm of, of being a people of a promise. It's the same exact location that, that Elijah crossed over and passed his mantle over to Elisha. It happens to be the same location that John the Baptist did a lot of his ministry where he baptized people from one paradigm into the next. And incidentally, the same place that Jesus was baptized, ushering in one paradigm from another. This whole transformative, upside-down kingdom that embodies this idea of just trust. Surrender. The location's called Gilgal, which literally means circle. It's like throughout all of history, God keeps bringing his people back to this same location of this crossing over going, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And every time, listen friends, every time God brings that thing, that thing back into your purview, that issue, he's going, 
would you just surrender it to me? Because I don't know about you, man. I get that thing. I get convicted and I walk out. I'm like, God, I'm going to give it to you. And then I like, before I leave, I'm going to, I come back to the altar and I grab it and take it with me, you know? God's like, let's, let's deal with it. Let's change this. I don't know what that thing is for you. But man, I love you so much, Mercy Road, that I want to see this thing unlock for you and for your family. I want to see you be the family that puts the stake in the ground and says, we are not dealing with this thing anymore. We surrender to you, Jesus. We surrender to you. So here's what I want to do. I just want to invite us, I want to invite us to respond. Just close our eyes, bow our heads. And in this moment, I just want to invite you to ask the Lord if he hasn't already brought up into your mind that thing. Ask him to bring it up. Say, Lord, what is that thing for me? What do I, I, I have a hunch that you probably already know. The Holy Spirit's kind of like that. But I just wonder if we could deal with it today. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. and I want to invite you. Maybe you're like me. You know, maybe you have this pride that kind of blocks it from, from really being dealt with. And, and, and you don't want anybody to know that you're kind of dealing with this thing. And I... I wonder if maybe while we sing this song, you'd be willing to, to step out of your seat and walk over to the prayer room and, and, and conf- just confess, get it off your chest. Scripture tells us when we confess to God those messy, dirty things, then we're forgiven. But, but when we confess to others, it says we're healed. There's something powerful about bringing that to the light, not letting our pride hold it down. And so I just, I just wonder if maybe in this time you would do that. I don't really know what it is for you. I don't know what the issue is, but I know that we've all got one, at least one. God keeps dealing with us over and over. And today I want to, and God, I'm just asking for freedom and breakthrough in this place. Would you break the strongholds of what has been holding us down from experiencing fullness of life with you? Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for the cross. Thank you that in the sacrifice that you made, not only did you demonstrate surrender and trust, but you broke the power of sin and the curse that that has been passed down generally. You broke that power in our life. And through the resurrection, Jesus, you've now uh, enabled us to step into a new life, one that's not encumbered by by, by the disease of self and of sin and this dysfunction, but God, we can step into freedom. So I pray as we step into that right now that you would just be in this place, that your spirit would move, that you would do something so powerful and that we would take the necessary steps to really zero in and deal with that one issue that you're you're identifying right now. Put your finger on it for us, Lord. Heal us. In your name we pray.